what is up and welcome back to beyond the arc with brandon silvers as always i am your host brandon silvers now if you've been paying attention to the show you know two things about me one i'm really good at being an expert and two i'm good at pretending to be an expert but sometimes you have to know when you've met your match speaking of matches wimbledon's coming up i'm simply a casual tennis fan but i have brought in reinforcements WNBA writer for enjoy basketball host of crease on point Krina Mustafa is going to break it down for us Krina appreciates you being here I love that intro um I love a good pun and I I really like that one <laughs> that was off the top of the dome too so I'm impressed with myself it will be all downhill from here uh, <laughs> so first things first before we get into Wimbledon specifically what is it about tennis that you love? Yeah, that's a loaded question. Um, I was introduced to tennis about a decade ago. Um, I'm from Romania, so I started following Simona Halep very early on into her career because she I was kind of just like, oh, she's a Romanian player. She's pretty good. Like, let me follow her. And I think after that, I started to watch the sport a lot more and I just kind of fell in love with it. Tennis is almost like an art to me. And I really, really appreciate just how difficult the sport is. I mean, you look at players like Roger Federer who make it look so graceful, but it is in fact a pretty grueling sport. And I think I just kind of appreciate the talent um, and the work that goes beyond, behind the sport. And uh, I just love it so much. It just has like a special place in my heart. And I know you cover both basketball and tennis. Are there a lot of parallels that you see between the two sports? It's interesting because like a lot of basketball players are tennis fans and a lot of tennis players are basketball fans, um, which I almost didn't expect. I think the parallels between them are things like footwork, um, <clears throat> excuse me, footwork, st stamina, stuff like that. But like other than that, I think the sports are pretty different, which is like an interesting like reason for me to be like, oh, I actually like these two specific sports. <laughs> Yeah, I play tennis very poorly recreationally. And it does the you're right, the footwork does remind me a lot of basketball, but then like watching matches on TV and how everyone kind of has to be quiet during the points and everything, like we don't mm -hmm. we don't see that in basketball. No. Uh, so well, speaking of moving into Wimbledon, I should say, what about that tournament do you enjoy? Yeah, I think I, first of all, I really like it when the surfaces change throughout the year because you have the hard court, the clay and the grass surface. Um, as much as I love hard court and I think some of the best tennis gets played on hard court, it's just exciting when you go into clay season and then into grass season. Um, the ball bounces differently on each surface. Like on clay, you can slide, but then on grass, the ball bounces pretty low just because like it's hard to bounce with tennis ball on grass. So the players who are able to, and oh my God, Tyler DeLuca is actually going to die when he hears this, but like he was listening to a tennis broadcast the other day and they said, you have to have like grass, like ass to play really well at Wimbledon because you got to get really low um, and get the balls. And so I think every surface provides a new challenge, a different kind of playing style. And that brings out the best in different players. And that's what I really like about Wimbledon is like, it's a different time of the year grass season actually isn't that long compared to the other two surfaces so i think i just appreciate it a little bit more when it comes around that's another difference obviously between uh tennis and basketball because i can't imagine if they were like okay today you're going to be playing at madison square garden 
And then tomorrow we're going to stick you outside. You're going to play in some sand. I, I just couldn't imagine how that would look. Although that might be, that's an idea. Uh, we will not let them steal that from us. <laughs> um, so for someone like myself, who has kind of been in mourning since Serena retired, hasn't been paying attention to the game quite as much as they used to trying to work through those emotions. Let's take a look at the tournament. We'll start women's side first. Who do you think is going to, to come out on top on the women's side of the, is the bracket the correct term? Yeah. Yeah. The bracket is the correct term. There you go. <laughs> um, I think so this year, like in 2023 specifically, there's three players that have kind of stood out in terms of records and success. And that's been Iga Sviatek, Elena Rabakina, and Irina Sabalenka. Um, Sabalenka won the Australian Open back in January where she beat Rabakina in the final. Sviatek, of course, just won the French Open and she's looking pretty scary. Um, she's been super, super dominant ever since she got that number one world ranking um i think those three are definitely serious contenders on the women's side um elena rabakina won wimbledon last year that was her first grand slam that she ever won and i have her as my top favorite just because i think the surface favors her a lot more she has a really big serve she's super powerful and i think um that is gonna favor her we'll see how she's looking in terms of like form because she has played a couple of like the warm-up grass tournaments so far and hasn't won a ton of matches, but I think Grand Slams are just different. P players play their best when it is a Grand Slam. There's just more at stake. Sometimes that just like motivates players to just go for, for every ball. Um, so she's definitely my top to win. And then I have Iga Shiatek second in my power rankings, just because like, even though grass has never really been her strong suit, um, I would never count her out of a grand slam. Like if you're going to think of a name that has like flourished in the last like several years in women's tennis, it is Iga Shiatek. She went like last year around this time, she was on some like crazy, like 35 match winning streak, which she was setting like all kinds of records. Um, her tennis is like not I don't want to say boring, but it's just like effective. Like she doesn't do anything that's like, like showy or anything like that, but she just has like a killer forehand. She just knows how to get all the right spots on the court. Um, so I would definitely not count her out. And then my third, although I mentioned Sabalenka, like I have Ons Jabor in my power rankings as well. Um, she made the Wimbledon final last year when Rebecca beat her. She plays really well on grass too. She was kind of struggling with an injury this year, um, but she has a really dangerous slice that I think a lot of players probably don't like play against. Um, so I definitely wouldn't count her out. She's won a couple of matches on the grass warm-up tournaments so far. Um, but yeah, that, those are my, like the, the women that I'm keeping an eye on for Wimbledon. And I know we keep talking about the surface. How big of a difference is it between like the hard court, the clay and the and the grass surfaces? How much does that really come into play? Because I know when we talk about clay, the first thing that comes to mind is Rafa Nadal. Um, so I know that's his thing. But but how much of a difference is that really making? 
It's a big difference. I mean, the hard courts are so much more faster, whereas the grass really slows things down, um, which does make it a little bit harder to play on. And so I think that if you can master the grass, then you're ex an extremely dangerous tennis player. Um, Novak Djokovic is one of those guys that can pretty much play on any surface. And like on the men's side, if we want to talk about my power, power rankings there, I have him as my number one um, to win the Wimbledon this year. He won it last year. He's defending champion um he's won the australian open this year won the french open this year um if he wins wimbledon and then wins the u.s open he could do like a calendar slam which is incredibly like rare like i, I have to double check that i don't know if anyone has actually done it yet um but his ability to play on every surface and just adapt as a tennis player especially in such a busy calendar year um is really incredible to watch and you'll notice when you watch Wimbledon it's a little bit different the way the ball bounces the speed it's it might get a like a bit of taking used to like watching tennis like that whereas like if you're used to watching it on the hard court on the clay because like you can kind of slide on grass, but you also kind of can't. Like, you don't want to get, like, a carpet burn or something like that. So it does change things up quite a bit. And you mentioned Novak. And I'm wondering, so I am old enough to where, like, when I first started watching tennis, it was, like, tail end of Sampras and Agassi. And then since then, it's been Novak, Roger Federer, who's retired now, and Rafa Nadal. Is Novak Djokovic a robot <laughs> i mean yes but also no maybe uh definitely the way that he plays it's kind of crazy to watch like i he could be down two sets and i would not count him out um i remember watching the wimbledon final in 2019 and it was novak versus roger federer and roger had like two championship points and novak just came from behind and won the whole thing and i remember being so angry because like i knew that that was like probably going to be roger's like last chance to get a grand slam so i was like forever salty at novak for that um but he's just incredible and i think what i'm most excited for now is watching how carlos alcaraz kind of combats that because in the last like year or so he's evolved as one of the biggest young stars i think he's my age he's like 20 years old um and he won the us open last year him and novak played against each other in the french open semifinals but he ended up carlos ended up cramping so like it wasn't really the matchup that we had expected but I'm hoping those two match up at some point in Wimbledon. We'll see what happens when the draw comes out, like what side they're on. Because I would hope for a Novak versus Carlos final, if that were to be possible. Novak just, I don't, I can't picture him doing anything outside of playing tennis. He kind of reminds me of, of Tom Brady in the NFL here, where he's like, I've, I've got a special diet. I eat like fruits, nuts, and berries, and that's it. And then I go and I'm a tennis machine it's pretty frightening because he's pretty old for a tennis player, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's like getting up there. He's like in his late 30s now, I think. But he looks, does not look like he's in his late 30s. Whereas like if you compare it to Rafa, like Rafa is obviously struggling with injuries. Um, and next year will be his last year um, in tennis, which is pretty sad. But Novak looks so young that like a couple of weeks ago, I was like, isn't he like 32? But then I was like, hold on. He was 32 like five years ago. Like not what he, how old he is now. Um, so it's, it's really like, it's cool to see his career still being at such an elite level, especially because he's also kind of struggled with some injuries in the past. So as long as we can appreciate the greatness, um, I'll be grateful. 
And I saw a stat on ATP.com, I think, where he's got more wins at Wimbledon than the rest of the top 20 combined, which is it makes like, sense. Yeah. I guess like, is that like currently like active players? Uh, yes. So I think because yeah. they're probably like, it makes sense Alcaraz. that like Roger and Rafa are like, because like they're not playing. So it makes sense that Novak would uh, have the cake there. Yeah. And so you mentioned Alcarez, and I know. Like you said, he's the new up-and-comer. What makes him so good? How has he kind of burst on the scene like this? It's so funny because, like, you had the big three. Like, you had, like, Novak, Roger, Rafa. And then you had this, like, generation that was supposed to be, like, the next step. So, like, like Steph, Stefanos Tsitsipas, like, Alexander Zverev, like, that kind of generation of players. But then they're all, like, in their 20s now. But then you have Carlos Alcaraz, who was a teenager when he kind of burst onto the scenes. And all of a sudden, he's just better than those guys. And he can go up against Rafa and he can go up against Novak. And the way that he plays is so good for the sport of tennis. Um, he hits unreal shots. He knows how to pump the crowd up. Um, his energy is so infectious. And he's a really smart tennis player. I think he's just one of those things where like when you have when you have a gift, you have a gift. And he has a gift when it comes to playing tennis. And his hard work and his work ethic really backs that up. You mentioned like getting the crowd involved. That that made me wonder too. When I think of Wimbledon, I kind of think of a little bit of a more formal crowd. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know, do they still have where you gotta wear all white or they so, get rid of that rule? I think there was something in the news about the all white. I think they still have to do it, but I think maybe like the women are allowed to wear like shorts now or something like that. I can't remember what the rule change was, or maybe they're allowed to wear a different color like skirts that are not white um just because i think wimbledon is very traditional very old-fashioned like you said like the the crowds are probably going to be a bit more reserved than say like the french open or the u.s open or the australian open um and as much as i think like it's cool to have that kind of like prestige and status i think there's a couple of times where you're like let's change some things in the tradition. Um, we've seen the way like Serena has gotten treated at Wimbledon before in the past, like even at other tournaments um, and the way just like the white, all white attire, like as much as it is kind of like, okay, this is Wimbledon. You have to wear all white. There are some concerns if you're a woman, right? Like there are different things that like we need to take into consideration. So I'll have to double check what the rule is, but I'm hoping there's like some changes, like especially last year, I think last year kind of, Wimbledon kind of took a hit when they banned the Russian and the Belarusian players. Um, and they're allowed this year, which is nice, but it was kind of like moments like that where you were like, okay, maybe we should be changing some things around the idea of Wimbledon. That's a great point. Both that and the, the, uh, about women wearing all white and how you get caught in caught up in these traditions and mm -hmm. you end up missing the mark a lot. How much does it affect like a guy like Alcarez who is trying to get the crowd into it, how much would it affect him playing as a, at a Wimbledon versus an Australian Open or a U.S. Open? It's funny because I can imagine him just getting so like pumped up and excited after a point, and then the crowd will just be like, 
just like a nice little. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't, I don't think it'll affect him that much because I mean, he's he's kind of the guy where he's like he'll get pumped up on his own. I don't know, like as much as he loves the crowd, I think he'll be just fine. I think his tennis IQ is high enough that um, he can figure out his opponents pretty well. He's also like how I mentioned before, how like I wouldn't count Novak out if he was two sets down. I wouldn't count Carlos out either if he was two sets down. And like players like that in tennis who can kind of figure out what their opponent is doing within the match and even not get too down on themselves too because it's super hard if you fall down two sets um in a match if you're on the men's side you're kind of just like you can get in your head you can be like oh it's too far of a hill to climb but when it comes to players like carlos when it comes to players like novak um they're just not like that like they're just able to still play their best tennis and find their ways back into matches and it is kind of like a chess match where you're like figuring out your opponent, you're figuring out how to exploit their weaknesses. And I think that's just so fun to watch. Who else do you have on the men's side who might be able to challenge these two? Yeah, it's so hard because it's like Novak, Carlos, and then like the field, it feels like. But um, I had Stefanos Tsitsipas up there. I think he's had a very underrated year. Um, he made the Australian Open final where he lost to Novak Djokovic. He all he's gone pretty like deep in a lot of tournaments this year and he's lost to good players and although he hasn't won a tournament yet i think he's just has that consistency where like maybe he could get over the hump it's just going to be super tough if he runs into carlos alcaraz or if he runs into novak djokovic which is like where i'm like okay so maybe he could do like a semifinals run or a quarterfinals run at wimbledon he probably could do it um I think Andy Murray got a wild card, which is super nice. Um, I'm excited to see what he does because he's like the big four, like outside of that, like Roger Rafa and Novak, um, which I feel like not a lot of people really talk about him sometimes. He's done pretty well. He just won like a, a small grass tournament leading up to it. So like I'm always rooting for Andy Murray. I hope he does something at the Grand Slams. Um, he always kind of pulls out his best tennis. And it's nice to see him like, somewhat healthy because like I really thought he was going to retire after the whole thing with his hip and like having to do surgery like he is playing on a metal hip and he's doing great um, which is really really remarkable to see um, and then I think my other my other player who I also keep an eye on but this is also depending on health would be Nick Kyrgios um, he made the Wimbledon final last year where he lost Novak Djokovic um, where I think he got kind of lucky because he was supposed to face Rafa in the semifinals, but then Rafa pulled out because he had um, an injury. But uh, Kyrgios has really good. He's a really good tennis player. Like antics and everything aside, I think he's a really smart tennis player and he can play well on grass too. His shot, his forehand is good enough that he can do that. Um, and so we'll see. I just want him to be healthy because he he had like surgery on his knee earlier this year and he just came back like last week and he's not looking the best, but I'm hoping he gets right enough for Wimbledon in time because uh, I love it when Nick Kyrgios does well. Yeah, you mentioned he is one of those guys who uh, certainly on the court antics, he's, he's not he's not a shy guy. Uh, and you mentioned... Tsitsipas, is that how is that how you pronounce his Tsitsipas, name? Tsitsipas, yeah. Yes. So He's Greek. Uh, <laughs> that one always gives me trouble. You mentioned him being kind of in that in between generation where mm -hmm. he kind of missed out. Is there like a, a rings culture like you have in basketball in tennis where it's like these guys they didn't they didn't win like they were supposed to, so we're just gonna forget them to history. 
I think there kind of is, especially like when you look at like the Grand Slam race between like Novak and the big three, where like now he's pulled ahead and he has 23. Um, and that was a big thing for a while. And then you get these kind of things where you're like, all these players that have potential, but they haven't won a Grand Slam yet. Like that Grand Slam is really important in tennis. People put a lot of meaning behind it. And if you're like kind of that player that's super consistent, like Pass has been, like he's made Grand Slam finals before, just hasn't been able to win any of them yet. I think a little bit of a label gets put on you where you're like, oh, is he actually that good enough? Can he actually go all the way? Um, so it's tough. It's tough to balance that as a tennis player. And then it's also tough when like you're evaluating players as well, because you can recognize their talent, you can recognize their potential, but it's kind of hard. Like Maria Sacri is kind of one of those players too, where she has the potential to be really, really good, but she just can't seem to get over the hump of like getting past the semifinals of a tournament and things like that. Um, so it's tough. It is tough when evaluating their like careers, um, that's why I'm like hoping that one of them, like even Casper Ruud is in that conversation as well, too. Um, he just made the French open final loss to Djokovic. Um, I just want one of these guys <laughs> to get a grand slam so that we can stop talking about just like, oh, you know, like they're just, they're not there yet, or like, they're not good enough, or they're not as good as like previous generations and things like that. Speaking of not being as good as previous generations, what do, how are the Americans looking on the men's side in particular? I know I mentioned I was at the tail end of the Sampras Agassi era, and then it's just been a bunch of prospects and then a bunch of disappointment for the most part. So are things looking up? Oh my God, that's so mean the way you said that. You're like, yeah. Speaking of players, we're not as good. Now, there have been some great moments, Andy Roddick, you know, we've had, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that's funny. Okay, high Let's, standards. Clearly, yes, I'm a I, I fake know. tennis expert, yeah. <laughs> no, that's so funny. Um, I'll tell you, I understand your perspective, because, like, as a Canadian as well, um, I look at kind of the Canadian players kind of the same way. So, we'll look at the Americans. You have Coco Goff, who has been extremely successful as a young uh, teenager. I think she's still 19. I don't think she's turned 20 yet. But um, she's made Grand Slam finals um, in both singles and doubles, and I think she's won a couple in doubles. And I think that kind of goes underrated, underrated a little bit, because her success in doubles is so good, but sometimes people aren't always talking about it because they value singles um, in tennis more, which understandable. Um, Cause like in doubles, I guess you have a teammate and I guess there's that kind of narrative, but she plays with her American partner, Jess, Jess Pagula, who they're both top 10 players in singles and in doubles, which is, I think is incredible. I think that's amazing for American tennis, something that we should definitely putting more of a highlight on. And then I guess on the men's side, you have Francis Tiafo, who if tennis had, I think tennis does have it. Tennis has like a most improved player. Um, I think he should be able to get that. Um, I just think seeing his progression over the last couple of years, he is such an intriguing player. He's a lefty, and I don't know if you've ever watched his forehand, but it's very, very interesting. So, like, definitely when you guys are watching Wimbledon this year, just watch Francis Tiafo's his forehand. He's a fun player to watch. He just entered the top 10 um, on the ATP tour, which I think is very, very good. Um, 
he also, I know I've said potential a lot on this podcast, but he has the potential to be in that like younger generation of guys who could get a grand slam one day. Um, he's been working to it. He's made it deep in tournaments before he's shown flashes. Now I'm just starting to look for the consistency from him. And I think him winning a grass warm up tournament before Wimbledon was a great thing to do for him. Yeah. He really burst on the scene for me. Uh was it last year's U.S. Open when mm -hmm. I was paying attention? Made the semis, yeah. Yep, when Serena was retiring, and I was like, man, I keep hearing this name, Tiafo, and I was like, I was living and dying by him for a minute there, and so that <laughs> was, um, but he he had a great performance, like you said, and going back to mentioning doubles, because, like, I hadn't even really considered doubles. Mm-hmm. What is the difference between the doubles game and the singles game? I know you touched on some of the people don't get as hyped up about the singles, but what's some of the differences between those two games? And they've got mixed doubles as well. Yeah, so doubles is just you have one partner with you of the same uh, gender and you play against two other players. Um, and then mixed doubles, you it's like a woman and a man play against another woman and a man. Um, for doubles tournaments, I think they play like one less round, if I'm not mistaken, than the singles do. Uh, but overall it's like, it's different because you're playing two versus two and it's a, it's way more fast paced just because you have like two people on the court at the same time. Um, but it's also incredibly hard. Like it's not, and I, I went to, I went to Vancouver back in April to cover the Billie Jean King cup, uh, qualifiers for team Canada versus team Belgium. And they ended up having to play they did like four singles and then they had like a deciding doubles match. And that was the first doubles match that I sat and watched an entirety in person. And it just like, as like, I was like astonished. Like it was so crazy just how difficult the shots that they were making, the, how fast it was, how fast you have to make decisions when you are playing in doubles, because you literally have like half a second to just think about what you're going to do. And I think that's extremely helpful. I think more singles players should be playing doubles because I think that's going to help translate to better performances in singles. And we've seen that for Coco Goff. We've seen that for Jessica Pagula, who they've played really well. Pagula had a great um end of the year last year she won the wta finals um she won in guadalajara like she like both of them have shown that doubles has helped them in singles and i think doubles just doesn't get the same media coverage as singles does which is hard because like singles tennis already doesn't get enough media coverage so it's just kind of this like chain of like we need more coverage for everybody yeah, because didn't I'm showing my bias again, but didn't the Williams sisters they always played doubles at like Yeah, they played um definitely more like earlier in their careers. Um I think they just like played less as like they got older, which cause like made sense. Like they were super successful in singles. So um you don't wanna you don't wanna always be playing singles and doubles at a tournament, especially if you're going far in singles, because like then you're playing every day instead of every other day. Um, and it gets tiring, but yeah, like they play together. Um, I that always love, I think to, that kind of, sorry, no, go ahead. You're talking about like with the development too, like playing early in the career and then they did all right. And a lot of players do that. Yeah. Like a lot of players, they'll play doubles early in their career. And then once they get older, they'll won't play it as much. Um, and I think like, it's super helpful for them. And I, a lot of, a lot of veteran players have said that too, where their advice for the players that are just coming onto the tour is play doubles play double so that you can continue to develop your skills. 
And I mentioned Venus. I was reading some stuff about like Serena going to a couple of her more recent tournaments and everything and some speculation. What do you think? Do you think this is going to be her last Wimbledon? How is she even playing, first of all? I mean, I have yeah. trouble getting out of bed and she's <laughs> out here playing tournaments. So what are yeah. you thinking on that? I was really happy to see her um, get a wild card into Wimbledon. I watched her, one of her grass matches of the ter- the warm-up tournaments leading up to it a, like a week and a half ago. She looks good. Like, and I, and I know like she's, she's still like, she's older now, obviously. Um, there's always going to be speculation about like around any of the Williams sisters. There was speculation around Serena for so long. And the speculation around Venus has also been um, around, I think like, I don't know. I think it might be her last Wimbledon, but I also don't want to count anybody out because I feel like I'm going to come out here and be like, yeah, like this is probably your last Wimbledon. Next year she's going to be like, nope, I'm back. Um, So we'll see. But I think my mindset when it comes to seeing like the more vet players like this is just appreciating every match that we get. And I think of it as like a bonus, like, especially when you think of like Venus Williams, Andy Murray, like those players, like I always am going to think of it as a bonus because I know that there's less time of their careers left. And speaking of both of them, honestly, I know they, they kind of played in the shadow Venus of Serena and Andy of the big three, put into perspective, like how great they actually were and are. Oh man. I mean, yeah venus has a bunch of grand slam titles andy murray also has grand slam titles i think just their talent and i don't want to sound i'm literally so young and i don't want to sound like i'm like a boomer but i don't think you get that kind of talent very often um in tennis and so i think they're just super special and i remember I remember watching Andy Murray like earlier in his career and just like seeing how he could like go up against Novak Djokovic. And I think that was kind of my like, whoa, like this guy's so good. And another guy that actually just popped into my head. I have nothing but tennis names in my head, but like Stan Rorinka too is one of those guys where he's also in his late uh, 30s and he won a Grand Slam um, in his career against Novak at the French Open. And he's also one of those guys I love stan i have like a group chat on twitter with some of my friends and like stan warrington is like the name of our group chat it's like that's how much um i love him um but he like they have skill sets that make tennis look extremely graceful where there's like the forehand the one-handed backhand that stan warringa has it's just kind of a special skill set that can't always be taught it's just something that they have in them and it's a style that is specific to each of them and i just really appreciate that and um appreciate their careers a lot yeah i'm speaking to sound like a boomer i'm old enough to remember when venus was the standard and then obviously like serena came behind and serena serena but i remember Mm -hmm. when venus was like the the elite of the like Serena was chasing her. Yeah. Which kind of tells you how good Venus was just in that alone. And uh, you mentioned with Stan beating uh, Novak, that kind of speaks to how great he was. So we got, we got Wimbledon coming up. Someone like myself, or maybe someone who hasn't ever watched tennis, what would you tell them to look for that's going to get them into tennis? Yeah. So number one thing that I would tell you to look for is Carlos Alcaraz. I think he is just 
you're going to enjoy watching tennis when he plays because that's kind of one of the things where people are like, I don't really want to get into tennis. Seems boring. Like all of that. He is not a boring player. You're going to want to watch. He's must watch television. Carlos Alcaraz is like, drop everything you're doing. Go watch his match. Um, I think overall, like what my advice would be is like, even choosing players that are like from your country, since like tennis is kind of really big on that. Every player is representing their country. Um, just choose a player that is from where you are from and just follow them. Just try to see what they do. I think if you're American, like Coco Goff, Francis Tiafo, Jessica Pagula, like all of these are names that you should be following. I think they're incredibly exciting. On the Canadian side, you have like Tana Shapovala, Felix Ojeleseem, Bianca Andrescu, Leila Fernandez. Um, like all of these like young players who are just trying to get better with every match. I think if you just choose like one person to just kind of follow and root for um i think that'll be the way to go and that's how you can get really attached to the sport that's how i got attached to the sport so yeah that's my advice that's great advice and you talked about canadian tennis i'm obviously very american biased what's the tennis scene like there Mm -hmm. so out of so we have kind of like a core four that are, I would say are like our best players right now. So that's what the names I just mentioned: Leila Fernandez, Bianca Andreescu, Felix Ojeleseem, and Denis Shapovalov. Out of those four, um, Bianca Andreescu won the U.S. Open in 2019, where she beat Serena Williams. Sorry, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then Leila Fernandez made the 2021 U.S. Open final, and both Felix and Shapo have gotten like pretty deep at Grand Slams, but they haven't won any yet, or like been to a final yet so like all of them are kind of in the same situation as the americans where all of them have such big potential and we've seen that they can do really well it's just a matter of getting that consistency back um and that's something that's a really common factor among both the canadians and the americans um so yeah that's that's kind of what i would say the scene is like right now they've also Layla fernandez has done what coco goff has done and she's been playing in doubles um with taylor townsend who's actually an american and they've done very well this year so like we're seeing how the doubles has continued to be something that young players are doing especially when they start to struggle in the single side i think it just kind of gets them back to the roots of tennis and is super super helpful so i will always continue to harp on that and then we have a bunch of other canadians um gabby dabrowski is a double star for us um she plays a lot of doubles and she's super super good in there um and we have some other canadians too but yeah that's kind of the the core people right now and they have a lot of potential but today's theme is potential potential (laughs) potential speaking of learning about tennis and potential i hear that i should follow crease on point on youtube for that tell us about what you're doing there and where else we can find you yeah so i wanted to start a platform where like i had a little bit more control over my content um i just think that so my two sports are basketball and tennis, if you guys haven't caught on already. But um, and I also think just specifically on the women's side, too, is the side that really has my heart, whether that's women's tennis or women's basketball. I think um, for a long time now, there hasn't been enough coverage and there hasn't been enough fair coverage given to them, fair opportunities. And so my goal is just to continue to cover them and tell the stories and get more people involved in women's sports because i think that's where it's at right now so y'all better hop on the train of women's sports um but yeah you can find me on twitter at krina mm you can subscribe to my youtube channel crease on point 
Um, you can follow me on Instagram too at Krita Mustafa because I post a lot of clips on there as well. I've been trying to keep this very tennis focused, but I would not be me if I didn't ask for some WNBA takes mm-hmm. up to this point this season. So what do you have for us? Okay, can I tell you off the top of the head? I'm sorry for putting you in this position, but I (laughs) no, you're good. I because I just this is actually a great opportunity because like before the season, I went on a season preview pod and I said two things as like my hot takes. I said one, the Mercury are not making the playoffs this year, and two, the Indiana Fever are making the playoffs this year, and people were like are you sure about that? Like what? And now where are we? <laughs> the Mercury look like they're probably going to miss the playoffs and the fever could make the playoffs. So we'll see what happens, but those are my hot takes at the start of the season. I will continue to stick through them. Um, it's definitely me taking a victory lap, but yeah. <laughs> no, hold on to that. I, I do that all the time. Now my strategy is I make a bunch of predictions and then I only <laughs> remind people of the ones that are correct. So you have That's to good. add that. Just do that. It's completely like just wrap. You got that. You got that. Arike, you got that. R.E.K. shot. Exactly. That's exactly. I'm a volume shooter. Uh, but yeah. no, the fever, man. Aaliyah Boston, all star yeah. starter as she should be. I'm I'm from South Carolina, so oh, like, love it. Bias there as well, but she is. Don't worry, incredible. I have no bias, and and I'm saying she deserves so. Exactly. So it's not just me. I mean, she, I I want her to get more shots, but that's the story for another day. Mm -hmm. But man, you're right. Completely deserves it to be an all-star starter. And I don't know. She's, I expected her to be great, but to put it together this quickly. She's thriving. Yeah. She's flourishing. She's really flourishing. It's been incredible to watch her in the W. Going toe to toe with Asia Wilson. And like, hmm. Right. Adrian having a tough time against her. I was yeah. like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> That's an MVP and a defensive player of the year that, that is like, oh, Aaliyah putting in work. Yeah. So, uh, well, spoiler alert too, Krina will be coming on above the fold. So we're going to ask her more questions about her journey in the sports media landscape. So be on the lookout for that. But yeah, go check out her stuff, please. That's going to be in the show notes. This has been another episode of Beyond the Art with Brandon Silvers, and I will catch y'all again on Monday. 